At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out the Word of God and turn in it in the New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and you might flip over to chapter number 3 in 2 Timothy. You know, if we were going to look at the book of 2 Timothy and take a poll and, and ask what is the best known verse in 2 Timothy, I think that 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 would win that poll. Verse 16 says, as Paul wrote it, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And what I want to do is just take a moment to zoom in on the phrases in that verse. You'll notice it begins by saying that all scripture is inspired by God. Literally, all scripture is God-breathed. What we have in this book as coming directly out of the mouth of God through some human authors. All Scripture is inspired, it's God-breathed, it is profitable. Some translations say it is useful. The idea, it is beneficial. It is beneficial and useful and profitable for what? It says it is beneficial and useful for teaching. That is, it contains real-life truth that you and I need. It is profitable and useful for reproof. That means that it alerts us when we drift from life truth, and we're all prone to do that. It is profitable and useful for correction. It helps us get back on the path when we have wandered from it. And then it is profitable and useful, beneficial for training in righteousness. That is, it helps us to build spiritual character. And that is why at Wildwood Community Church, in all of our areas, we spend time reading and studying the Word of God. And while 2 Timothy is clearly sacred scripture, sometimes we forget when we approach it that it is also personal correspondence. 2 Timothy is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a person named Timothy. It's just like we might receive a letter from someone, or in the vernacular of the day, we might receive an email. And I think it is easy for us to forget that when Timothy received this letter, this email, if you would, it was practical life truth for him. Paul wrote it so that there would be practical life truth communicated to Timothy, but it is also practical life truth for us some 2,000 years later. In other words, what I'm saying is Paul wrote this letter to Timothy in large part to give some spiritual perspective to Timothy that he needed and it is perspective that we also need. Now, sometimes we forget, we, you know, you think about Timothy and we forget who he was. Timothy was 
a young man who had a godly mother whose name was Eunice and a godly grandmother whose name was Lois. We learn of that in chapter 1 and verse 5. Timothy was a young man who was taught as a boy to memorize Scripture. We learn that from chapter 3 and verse 15. And we don't really know why, but Timothy is a young man who grew up without a father in his life. Why that was, we really don't know. But in Timothy's life, there came a providential day. It happened as Paul was on his second missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. But on that providential day, this young man, Timothy, who'd grown up without a father, met the apostle Paul. And then for the next 17 years, the Apostle Paul mentored Timothy as his spiritual father. Now, as this letter is being written, Paul is in a Roman dungeon. He is soon to be executed by the Romans. And 2 Timothy is the personal letter that he has written on parchment to this special adopted son, Timothy. And as Timothy receives this letter, these are the last words from the Apostle Paul before his soon death. Now, what I want to do today is just take a little liberty and let's go back in time and let's use our imagination a little bit and let's climb into the context and try to sense and understand what Timothy was feeling as he would read and reread this letter. So I want you to imagine it's been a few weeks since Timothy first received this letter from Paul. And I think the situation went something like this. Timothy vividly reflected back on when he first received and read the parchment from his dear beloved mentor, the Apostle Paul a letter from a condemned man chained in a cold Roman dungeon-like prison. And Timothy vividly recalled how he had first read some of the closing lines of the letter with tears rolling off his cheeks. Paul wrote in chapter 4 and verse 6, I am already, Timothy, being poured out like a drink offering, The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Tears again welled in Timothy's eyes as he reflected back on those words. For weeks, Timothy sought to shove the thought of losing Paul out of his mind. Paul indeed had been like a father to him a father who guided, encouraged, and challenged Timothy multiple times. And Paul was even more than a father. He was Timothy's closest friend. Deep down, Timothy knew he would truly miss Paul's reassuring counsel and his prayers. For many months, Timothy had taken great care to avoid focusing on just when that day might come. As sorrow began to re-envelop him, Timothy caught himself. How could he let himself wallow in grief when Paul was so boldly and confidently facing imminent death? 
Timothy was drawn to reread the letter, this time lingering long over each phrase. This time, a central truth hit him like a bolt of lightning. This was what Paul had invested his life for and that he would soon die for. What at first felt only like an unwelcome obituary to Timothy was now a clear call and priority for Timothy in his life. In chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul wrote, Of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. I am not ashamed of it, because I know whom I have believed. Timothy smiled. He could almost see the fire of Paul's eyes deeply gazing into his and Paul's hand firmly gripping his arm. In verse 14 of the first chapter, Paul wrote, Guard the treasure that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Timothy heard Paul saying, Timothy, we don't need any new truth. Guard the one truth. Keep that good news always before you. As he wrote in chapter 2 and verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. The title I've given to today's message is Keep the Gospel Central. And one thing we learn from this letter, as Paul is anticipating his soon death, is that the gospel was the center of his life every day. You know, when he wrote to the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 2 and verse 2, he wrote this, he says, for I was determined to know nothing among you. The idea is I was determined to concentrate on nothing else except Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And then in chapter 15 of that same letter of 1 Corinthians, in verse 3, speaking of the gospel, he says, I delivered to you folks of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day. See, men and women, I think we need to admit that even as followers of Jesus, too often the truth of the gospel, the message of the cross, as great as it is, too often in my life and in all of our lives, we have a tendency to relegate it to the past, to sort of merely look back on that event with fondness, and we forget and fail to see the relevance that it has right now, the relevance it has in our everyday spiritual life. Jerry Bridges wrote this. He says, The gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, it is the only essential message in all of history. It is the gospel that has transforming power. It is the gospel that is life-changing. It is the gospel that will alter our outlook on life and alter our attitudes, right? And that is why we proclaim it to the world. 
We proclaim it to our family and to our neighbors and the people in our whole city and and the people in our whole country. And we take it outside of our continent and we take that message to people all around the world because it's transforming. It is life-changing. It will alter outlook and attitudes. So we proclaim it to the world. But Bridges goes on to say, but we also need to preach it to ourselves. And we need to preach it to ourselves over and over and over and over again. See, the gospel is there to remind us. It is there to refresh us. It is to have an impact in the core of our thinking, the center of our life. The gospel is to affect our outlook and our attitudes, not just occasionally, but every day. We are to ponder it daily and to replay it regularly. But here's what I think is true. At least it's true for me. I assume it's true for you. We often lose sight of it. We think of it as a past event, not something that really affects our life currently, maybe, as a follower of Christ. But I believe as followers of Jesus, there are, well, we could spend a lot of time talking about why we need to preach it to ourselves regularly, why we need to keep the gospel central. But I just want to talk this morning about three reasons why that is important. Three reasons why we should preach it to ourselves regularly, keep the gospel central, have daily reflection on it. This is why it's important. The first reason why we should preach it to ourselves regularly and keep it central is our tendency to let feelings rule our life. At least that's true for me. You know, our emotions were created by God, but our emotions, have you noticed this, tend to go up and down and up and down and all around. When circumstances are good, I feel good. When circumstances are adverse, I tend to feel bad. And and when we are facing adverse things, even something as simple as getting blown off a football field when we didn't want to be, we have a tendency to become inward focused. And when we become inward focused and we're focused on our feelings, you know what happens? We end up being discouraged. We often will feel unloved. We often will feel unappreciated. What we end up doing is effectively stewing in our feelings and we lose sight of objective reality. Now, this has always been true of the people of God. We see it all the way through the scriptures. One of the greatest illustrations is what happened to the nation of Israel. You know, they had been in slavery in Egypt. You remember how God did these incredible miracles. Moses is there saying, let my people go, and the most powerful nation on the planet lets them go. And so here they are, all these brick makers and everything. They're trudging on out and they come to the Red Sea and suddenly they find out that the most powerful army in all of the world is coming down upon them, ready to take them captive again. 
And then an incredible miracle happens when God opens up the Red Sea. There is dry land, not muddy, mucky land, but dry land. They cross through on the dry land, and here comes the Egyptian army right after them. They're working their way through the walls of the Red Sea and on the dry land, and suddenly God just collapses the whole thing down on top of them. The Egyptian army is wiped out. Oh, men and women, that was an amazing deliverance. You know, we would look at that, if you were part of that, you would have thought, man, I mean, after seeing something like that, holy cow, I am going to be trusting and believing God for as long as I can even see my life going on. But do you remember the story of what happened? That amazing deliverance occurs right before their very eyes And pretty soon after that, they were whining. They started to whine about all kinds of even little things. What happened? They lost sight of what God had done for them and the great deliverance that he had brought them. And men and women, we are just like them. I want you to think about for a moment the last major blessing that the Lord brought to you in your life. It may have been some kind of a health blessing. It may have been some sort of a financial blessing. It may have been the provision of a certain person in your life, maybe a baby that was born. Just think of the last major blessing that God gave you in your life. Think about it for a second. You ever thought of what it was? Then I want to ask you this question. How long after that major blessing from the Lord was it before you began to whine? Why are we whining? Because we've lost sight of what God has done for us. Men and women, the cross is the greatest deliverance there has ever been. You know, our most serious problem that we've ever had in our life was the problem of sin and death and judgment. It's the most serious problem we've ever had. Now, we don't tend to emotionally think of that that way. You know, we tend to think that the biggest problem I have is something in the physical realm. It might be a financial problem. It might be a health problem. It might be some sort of a relational problem. We think, well, that's my biggest problem. No, it's not. The most serious problem we've ever faced is the problem of sin and death and judgment. The biggest problem you'll ever have in your life is a problem in the spiritual realm because without Christ, we face the wrath of God. It's incredible what God has done for us. And that's why Jesus instituted the Last Supper. Why he said to the disciples, I want you to do this. And as often as you do this, I want you to remember what? To remember what? Remember your deliverance. Remember my death for you. And the whole idea was this was to be an ongoing thing. 
It's not just a one-time reflection back or an occasional one, but an ongoing thing. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself? I might translate that, that you're stewing in your feelings rather than talking to yourself, remembering the cross. You see, our our feelings are always shifting, bobbing and weaving up and down. Ultimately, our feelings are unreliable. But the gospel, the truth of the cross, is always reliable. It is never changing. Sinclair Ferguson, a great spiritual leader, used to regularly tell his students in seminary, you want to be successful spiritually, what you need to learn to do is to look outward, not inward. The same idea. He said, you need to expend your energies admiring, exploring, and extolling Jesus Christ. There are reasons why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves regularly, why we need to keep the gospel central, why it needs to be part of our daily reflection. The first reason is our tendency to let feelings rule our life. Second reason we need to do it is that we often stumble spiritually, right? I mean, we have this tendency to sin and to to mess up, to say and to do what we know is wrong for a follower in Jesus Christ. And so often, because we have this tendency to stumble spiritually, when we do, we'll often agonize a little bit over it. I said I was never going to do that again. We agonize, why did, I, why did I talk to my parents that way? Why did I talk to my spouse that way? Why did I talk to my children that way? Why, why did I allow myself to cross the line sexually? <laughs> why? Why did I shake my fist and swear under my breath at the driver who cut me off on the way to church? Or as happened to me this week, Why did I get so ding-dong angry at the guy who was first in line at the traffic light and when it turned green, was just on his phone and he delayed and he delayed and he delayed. Caused me to miss the green light entirely. All kinds of special wishes for such a person. (laughs) Amen. We agonize over it. Why do I allow myself to be influenced by those people and succumb to the peer pressure that came my way? See, we need to be reminded of the gospel because we often stumble spiritually. And sometimes part of the stumbling is that the past, stuff we tried to bury down there and forget about, has this tendency to resurface, you know, Why did you ever take that dark detour? Why did did you ever have an abortion? Why why did you ever let your marriage 
deteriorate. And the enemy, as those things in the past pop up, likes to sort of whisper in our ear, you know what? You're fairly worthless. God really could never, could God really, I mean, forgive that? And the answer is yes. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for those who are under the umbrella of the gospel message for whom the work of the cross has been done. We often stumble spiritually. Now, when we do stumble spiritually, it's important that we do two things. Number one, it's important that we confess and agree with God concerning what we have done or said. Yes, I deserve to be condemned for that, but the Lord Jesus paid my penalty on the cross. Agree with God about it. And then the second thing when we do stumble is to get back on the right path. We're going to fall flat from time to time. Second part is just to get back up and get on the right path. The gospel, we need to preach it to ourselves. We need to keep the gospel central. We need to ponder it daily. We need to replay it regularly. The first reason why is our tendency to let feelings rule our life. The second reason why is that we often stumble spiritually. The third reason why we need to preach it to ourselves and keep the gospel central is that it assists us in our everyday relationships. And you go, really? Especially when we have been wronged. Especially when we have been in conflict. Especially when someone has mistreated us in some way. You know, one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. If you haven't decided that you would memorize a verse, I would say this is one that you could start with. A powerful, powerful verse. It's amazing when we're often at family life marriage conferences and we're dealing with couples, many of whom have hurt one another, sometimes deeply. This is a verse we bring up over and over and over again. Paul writes and he says to us as followers of Jesus, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. And here comes the key phrase. You might want to underline it. You underline, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Could it be that you're here today and you're struggling to forgive someone? You are nursing a grudge towards someone? Well, remembering the gospel and keeping it central can have an impact. See, the idea in this verse, what Paul is saying is, hey, God has been patient and gracious to me. Because he has, I should be gracious and patient with others. God forgave me. So I should forgive others. Let me tell you something about forgiveness. Forgiveness is very hard when your eyes are focused in the wrong place. In fact, it can become nearly impossible. 
See, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, I want you to remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. This is my gospel. He was really saying to Timothy, I want you to daily, I want you to regularly embrace the cross, revel in the cross, rest in the gospel, keep the gospel central. In men and women, that is great counsel for every year of our life. It is great counsel for every month of our life. It is great counsel for every day of our life. In the late 1960s, my family lived in central Jersey. Central New Jersey on the Jersey Shore. We lived in a town called Little Silver. I went to school in a town called Red Bank, graduated from Red Bank High. While we lived there, we attended church in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which was about a 20-minute ride from our home. We attended a church called First Baptist Church of Asbury. And while we were at that church, we met a young man who had heard the gospel message and had embraced the cross of Christ in his life, and he had trusted Christ as his Savior. His real name was Mickey Mikowski, and his life had been radically altered by the work of Christ on the cross. Now, if you were in central Jersey at the time, you wouldn't really know who Mickey Mikowski was, but you would know him by his stage name, which was Mickey Holiday. And as Mickey Holiday, Mickey played with a group, a well-known rock group in the area called the Jaywalkers. Uh, Mickey also backed up some significant well-known artists of the day, like Bob Dylan and Conway Twitty. But what Mickey did after having the gospel so transform his life is he wrote and he recorded a song that has been one of my favorite songs of all time. It's a song called, Who Killed Jesus? And years ago, I memorized this song as just one way for me to keep the gospel central in my life. Here's the way the words of that song go. Who killed Jesus many years ago? Who is guilty of a crime so low? Why did he have to die? What is the reason why? Who killed Jesus? I would like to know. Was it Hebrew children proud of who they were, shouting, crucify him at their king, trading their Messiah for a common thief, turning down the kingdom that he could bring? Was it Pontius Pilate? He was governor trying to decide the case that day, finding that the Savior had no fault his own. Was he guilty when he turned away? Was it Roman soldiers with their tools of war, driving nails through hands that did no wrong, mocking and abusing crowning him with thorns. All the evidence is very strong. Who killed Jesus 
many years ago. Who is guilty of a crime so low? Why did he have to die? What is the reason why? Who killed Jesus? I would like to know. When I think of Jesus and the way he died, how upon him all my sin was laid, all the other people fade away from view. It's for me the sacrifice was made. I no longer wonder anymore. I have found what I've been searching for. My sin demanded hell. On him the judgment fell. I am guilty. Now it's plain to see that it was really me. That it was really me. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for this living book and the truth that is in it. And we thank you so much for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he bled and died for us. And Lord, we know that you, through the pen of Paul to Timothy to us, are encouraging us to ponder the truth of the gospel and the truth of the cross daily, to replay it regularly in our life. Oh, we so desperately need it for multiple reasons. We just thank you for the person of Christ, his love for us, his death for us, giving his life so that we could have life. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.